The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's an unexpected January 18 edition of the PFTPM podcast. Those of you who follow it closely know I typically only do four days a week, and Thursday is usually the day that I skip. But just recorded an interview with Cardinals running back David Johnson, one of the best young players in the NFL, who had his season derailed in week one against the Lions. Had a chance to talk to him, and I'll bring that to you in just a few minutes. There isn't much that's happened since we went off the air. Earlier today on PFT Live, there was one thing I noticed that got my attention. It sure looks like the Dolphins are going to have to choose between tagging Jarvis Landry or letting him hit the open market. And it's going to be about a $16, $16.5 million proposition to tie him up for one more year. And then they'd have to give him a 20% raise the next year or sign him to a long-term deal with $16.5 million as the starting point. If they're not willing to do that, then the question becomes, what will someone else pay for him? Where does he really fit in the hierarchy of receivers? His numbers aren't overwhelming, but he catches a lot of passes. Now, his average per catch, not up there with the likes of his good friend Odell Beckham Jr., but he catches as many passes as OBJ. And the question becomes, what else does he bring to your team by way of that toughness, that hard-nosed mentality? Reminds me a lot of Heinz Ward. A guy that you want to have out on the field. A guy you hate if he's a member of the opposition, but you love if he's on your team. And it's going to be interesting to see how other teams value him. That's what it may come down to. No franchise tag, quite possibly. And then finding out what the market is for Jarvis Landry services. And and would he take as much or less from another team just to say to Miami, hey, you had your chance and you didn't take care of me? I'm going elsewhere. I'm going to any team that I want to go to. I want to go to a team where I'm going to be the top option, and they're going to build the passing game around me as the primary receiver. And, of course, the contractual magnitude would dictate where that guy's going to fit long-term in the pecking order. But it's going to be an interesting dynamic to the offseason. We talk so much about quarterbacks, but if the Dolphins don't tag Jarvis Landry, we very well could see him changing teams. Now, David Johnson has three years in to his rookie contract, but now really isn't the best time for him to sign a long-term deal because he hasn't done anything all season. That's one of the risks of injury. You get hurt before you get paid. It delays the timetable. It's one of the topics that I discussed with David Johnson, and here is the conversation taped earlier today with Cardinals running back David Johnson. Welcome back and joining us now, a guy who has become very quickly in his NFL career one of the best offensive weapons in football, derailed week one of the 2017 season by injury, but he's going to be back and he's going to be as good as ever in 2018. He is Cardinals running back David Johnson. David, welcome back. How are you, pal? I'm doing good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. What was the hardest part for you being primarily a spectator for the 2017 season? I feel like the hardest part was watching, not being able to play the sport that I love, not being able to help out the team. 
Was there a low point for you where it just sunk in? My goodness, I'm going to spend the entire season away from doing the thing that I love to do. It was very tough the first week when I found out what it was exactly and uh, how long I was going to be out. I think that was the lowest part uh, of the season, the lowest part of uh, the injury is figuring out, you know, what I what can I do now to help out the team? What can I do now to feel like I'm still part of the team and still connect with the teammates and the coaches and stuff? So um, it, it was only it only lasted about a week, though, and I had a great support system with my wife and the other teammates. They were still able to make me feel like I was part of the team. They were asking me about, you know, what they saw on the field. And so I felt like uh, I got over it pretty quick, but I feel like the, the lowest part was definitely then. How much do you think missing almost all of a season will change you for next year? I think the biggest thing is I've, I'm more grateful. Um, you know, at first I was like, I'm still young. Uh, I still have a, a lot of football to play, but, you know, it could, football could end in a blink of an eye. And so I feel more grateful to where I'm going to do as much as I can to stay on that field as long as I can. And whether it's, you know, uh, finding out what protein drink is, is best for me and rocking protein or uh, rehabbing a lot more, making sure I'm in the, in the training room, recovering a lot more and doing everything that I can to make sure that I stay on that field. That was a very, very subtle, very impressive way to work in the plug. We'll, we'll get to the full plug coming up. But before we get to it, tell me how the wrist is doing right now. Wrist is feeling great. Wrist is uh, ready to go. Got the strength and the range of motion back. Man, I've been been fiending to get ready to get back on the field for this 2018 season. Uh, just because, man, I feel like I didn't even play at all in 2017. And uh, I feel like it's it's ready to go. And you mentioned Team Rock and Protein. They, they are the ones responsible for making you available to us today, and we appreciate that very much. Tell us what you have going on with that product. So I was trying to find a product that was uh, fit me, and Rock and Protein is great for me because I can get it on the, on the hurry, and it's, uh, so it's able to be easily obtained. And the best part, though, I would feel like is the chalky. There's no chalky taste to it. Most protein drinks, they have that chalky taste, and it just takes about 10 minutes to drink. But this one, I can uh, drink it quick and get on with my day. And then also the best, another good thing is that it has different uh, types. So depending on if I'm working out, if it's a, an off day, it has the lean, the recovery, and the muscle builder to where uh, I can utilize different ways of using uh, the protein drink. And uh, it's, it's also based out of a, a milk uh, base, so it's not really it's not protein, it's milk based, so it still has that great taste, and uh, I love it. When you go back to the facility to start the 2018 offseason program, things will definitely be different without Coach Bruce Arians there. When did you first know that he was not going to come back for next season? I didn't know until um, when he uh, actually announced it uh, to the players, and we kept it quiet until the next day, the last game, and uh, you know it definitely hit hit hard because he was such a big impactful uh, person when I got to the league. He was the one who was always on me, making sure I was doing everything right. And he's the one who's helped me get better, improve uh, as I was going along throughout each game and each, even each drive. He was always talking to me and asking me what was up and uh, helped me out. So I feel like with him, uh, you know, leaving is going to be tough. There was a sense that he was going to walk away after the season, but he seemed to do a very good job, David, of keeping it to himself. Did you have any hints, any clues throughout the year that maybe this was going to be it? No, not at all. He coached the same throughout the year. Even though I wasn't you know, playing, he still was coaching the guys 
the same way as if, you know, he was coming back next year. He was still, you know, harping on him. You know, everyone else around the NFL, the media and every, and uh, all those people still, you know, he was still treating them the same, being his same uh, cutthroat, um, let you know what he thinks, um, character and behavior. And no one really knew until uh, he told us. How closely, David, are you paying attention to the search for a new head coach of the Cardinals? I'm, I'm definitely staying aware, uh, but I, I don't know what Steve Kime and Mike Bilwell are thinking. But I know, obviously, they're going to get a coach that uh, fits the team and a coach that's going to be ready to uh, elevate this team and get, a, get us to that Super Bowl. Do you think there's a coach out there that the team could hire that maybe would result in Carson Palmer changing his mind and coming back and playing? Or as far as you're concerned, is he done? I think Carson's done. I've talked to him. I was trying to <laughs> get him to come back just because he was another person who was very impactful in my, uh, you know, not just on the field, but off, also off the field. And I was trying to recruit him to come back, but he, I think his mindset is uh, that he's retiring, and I definitely understand where he's coming from. Um, and I'm definitely still going to stay close with him, um, you know, from now on. When we talked to you last year at the Super Bowl, you looked right into the camera. You made the pitch both for Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald to come back for another year. It feels like Larry's on the fence. What's your best pitch oh, for him to come back? Larry's got to come back. He's still playing at a high level. I think he had, a, you know, 100 receiving receptions, and he had 1,000 reception yards. Uh, he went to another Pro Bowl. So he's got to come back. He, he got to, you know, finish out and help us get to this uh, Super Bowl that he's trying to get. Any thoughts on who the quarterback will be in 2018? No, not at all. I don't know the coaching staff or the uh, quarterback. I know I do trust Blaine, and I definitely do trust uh, Drew Stan. Um, I've played with those guys, and uh, I have all the confidence in the world for them. They're great leaders and great quarterbacks. Uh, but as far as who's coming back, I don't know. Adrian Peterson joined the team after your injury, and until he got injured, he seemed to have a major impact on the Cardinals offense. Well, give me one thing you learned from either watching him or talking to him that's going to help make you better next year. The work ethic. Um, I already know I have a good work ethic, but I think uh, with him coming back and us both being on, actually playing, we're going to be able to really help elevate each other's game. And I've watched him, you know, ever since I was in uh, growing up in Iowa and he played for the Vikings. I watched how dominant he is on the field. And he still looks like the same young uh, Peterson that I remember growing up watching. And so I feel like uh, his work ethic is one of the biggest things that I've learned. In practice, he'll run 50 yards after, uh, you know, getting the handoff. He'll, he'll make sure he finishes the run. And uh, I feel like that's definitely going to be great for, uh, you know, us two to be back next year. And, David, I know there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about the makeup of the team, quarterback and coach the most important. But where do you feel the Cardinals are right now in the division? We've seen the Rams get better. The 49ers seem to be on the upswing. The Seahawks are still the Seahawks, even though they may be down a little bit. Where do the Cardinals fit in? We're definitely at the top. Um, you know, it's a, definitely, it's a tough division, but um, I feel like we're definitely still at the top. Even with all those injuries, we still finished 8-8. Eight and, eight. and with uh, everyone coming back healthy next year, uh, we're going to be at that top of the division. You know, football ultimately is a business, and you came in via the draft and your compensation for the first four years set by where you were drafted, but you have outperformed that, obviously. You're now eligible for a new contract. Do you have any hope, any expectation that there'll be negotiations before the next season begins? Uh, I hope so, but I'm really focusing more on, you know, getting this injury and making sure I'm ready to pay for two, play for 2018. 
um, and that I'm as healthy as possible for 2018, especially with so much stuff going on in the offseason with the coaches and the quarterback and stuff um, that, you know, I can't really focus too much on the contract talk. Well, David, we miss seeing you play in 2017. It was a long season without you. It's great to see you doing well, and we look forward to seeing what you'll do this year. Thanks again for some of your time. We hope to talk to you down the road. Uh, Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks again to David Johnson. One of my favorite young players in the NFL, and it's amazing. It's cruel, but it's amazing how guys fall out of sight, out of mind. It's easy to forget a player who gets injured week one because you just replace him and you move on. And you look at the Final Four. None of these teams making any apologies for maybe benefiting from injuries suffered by other teams, other players. The Vikings would not be in the Final Four right now if they don't break Aaron Rodgers' collarbone. Not that they did it on purpose. Stats and I argued today on PFT Live whether I was implying they did it on purpose. I think it's accurate to say the Vikings broke Aaron Rodgers' collarbone. That's factually accurate. That's not suggesting any type of a Jeff Galuli situation. They broke his collarbone. A lot of it's his own fault because he held on to the ball for too long. He was trying to give Martellus Bennett more time to get open. He did. And then he dropped the pass. The fitting end to the last meaningful pass from Aaron Rodgers. Remember, he came back for a game, didn't work out, and they shut him down the rest of the year, as they should. Whatever happened to that report from Shefty about... Teams wanting to have Aaron Rodgers declared free agent because the Packers put him back on injured reserve when he didn't have a new injury or whatever whatever it was. Look, teams complain all the time. I think there's a responsibility for us in the media to not be party to the petty whining and complaining. And if we're going to pass along the fact that teams are complaining, I think it's incumbent upon us as purveyors of NFL information, to put it in context. See, that's not what the information robots do. I didn't start down this path with any desire of escalating the feud with Shefty, a.k.a. Morty Seinfeld. But pay attention to what he does and what he doesn't do. He just churns out information. You never hear analysis. You rarely see opinion. And when you do, it's the most low-hanging fruit. There was a video going around of him being all pissed off about all these concussion controversies. Yeah, so is everybody else. Way to go out on a limb, Shefty. Oh, it shows he has fire. Yeah, he has fire when it's the same take that everyone else has. You rarely see any controversial comments from him, in part because that could undermine his network of sources that will give him a five-minute heads up before a transaction is announced, which is the lifeblood, the oil can of the information robot. Enough of that. We'll save that. We'll put a pin in that for another day. Some questions. I promise to answer the 10 best. I think I have 10, although I'm giving Terry Gensler four. Terry Gensler, I don't know, man. I'd try decaf. Boom, boom, bang, pow. Four straight questions. I liked all of them. What franchise is best positioned for a Patriots-style run of success? Kind of like where the Texans are. Because what's the key ingredient? Franchise quarterback. And I love me some Deshaun Watson. I think he's going to be great. Bill O'Brien under contract for five years. Brian Gain there is the GM. Great defensive players. I really do think the Texans could end up being a dominant force for years to come. Now, they may have to worry about the Jaguars. But until the Jaguars get a young franchise quarterback, I can't say them. And the Saints, I think, are going to be in the mix next year for the Super Bowl, but their quarterback's 39. 
Look for the teams with the young franchise quarterbacks. And there's so much of this narrative now that you really don't need a franchise quarterback because three of the four teams in the conference championship round don't have franchise quarterbacks. Bullshit. You, you need a franchise quarterback. You can maybe get lucky one year if you break Aaron Rodgers' collarbone, accidentally or otherwise. You need a franchise quarterback if you want to contend year in and year out. Look at the Patriots. Why do you think they're there? Who doesn't belong and why in this championship round? It's the Patriots. They have the franchise quarterback. What a shocker. Seven straight AFC championship games. Franchise quarterback. Now, they managed to avoid having Tom Brady get injured. No one deliberately broke his collarbone yet. So, if Deshaun Watson can stay healthy, and I think that ACL was already hanging by a thread, and who knows when the initial damage was done. We've seen guys come back from ACL tears and be phenomenal. He tore the ACL in his other knee. I'm not worried about Deshaun Watson long term. And I think the Texans are in great, great shape. We forget about them, just like we forgot about David Johnson because he was injured. We forget about the Texans because once they lost Deshaun Watson, that was it. Another one from Terry Gensler. Have you ever asked for Bill Belichick on PFT PM or PFT Live? Every once in a while, I'll make a perfunctory ask for Belichick just so they can tell me no. You know, sometimes you ask for someone. I don't want to go too far inside the, the thought processes of how to book guests. Don't want to post the recipe online or anything like that. But sometimes you ask for one guy and get the no, because maybe that enhances your chance of getting them to say yes as to someone else. Because even though everyone knows the answer is going to be no, I'd like to think the Patriots still feel a little bit bad when they have to tell you no. So maybe maybe the needle goes your way when you try to get somebody else. I'd love to talk to him. I'd love to have a football conversation, an old-school football conversation with him. I probably would be as effective as Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney, but I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. I'd hop at the chance to do it. I'd, I'd drive a motorcycle to New England, and I've never been on one in my life if it was a chance to have a sit-down with Bill Belichick. Another one from Terry Gensler. Could you beat Mike Tomlin? Madden, yes, I could. Situational football. Thank you for listening, Terry Gensler. I made that comment recently that, that what Mike Tomlin should do this offseason is get himself an exercise bike and an Xbox 360 or a PS4 and play Madden over and over and over again. Because nothing teaches you situational football like playing Madden. It's the best simulation. Really, what else is he going to do? Go coach some other game somewhere else? That's one of the reasons why we're so critical now of coaches who don't know how to manage the clock. Because every kid that plays Madden knows how to manage the clock. Down two scores with 47 seconds left on the five-yard line. What do you do? You take one of the scores, especially if you get an intentional grounding penalty and you lose 10 yards and 10 seconds. Take the three. When do you onside kick? With 218 left and two timeouts in your pocket when you're facing a quarterback that you're daring to beat you? You're going to put Blake Bortles at your 40 or at his 20? So, yeah. I say it half-jokingly. No, I say it 25% jokingly. Mike Tomlin needs to play him some Madden, and he needs to hope his new offensive coordinator does some of the same. One more from Terry Gensler, 14. Do you feel differently about John Gruden after yesterday's conversation? I do. Look, I do. It's easy to make judgments about somebody when you've never talked to them for any period of time. But 
now I understand why he wasn't Chucky. I was disappointed that he wasn't Chucky in the broadcast booth. I think a lot of us who grew up in the 70s have been dying for a Monday Night Football booth that has the same level of tension and drama and candor and just biting wit that we saw when it was Frank Gifford, Don Meredith, and Howard Cosell. And I think we finally accept that it's never going to happen again. I think once John Gruden wasn't Chucky, I accepted that just was a special time and it's never going to happen again. Just like the halftime highlights during that era was special because you otherwise didn't see the highlights, at least from any game other than the one that was played in your local market. So I I have a different understanding and appreciation for Gruden. And I think he's going to do a very good job in Oakland. The question is, can they stock the roster with the right talent? And... Can he reach Derek Carr through means other than yelling and screaming and, to use his word, acting like a lunatic, which we have seen from time to time, which is very entertaining. At Sean Alvishire, what is the more cutthroat profession, law or sportscasting? Every profession where there's competition, there's a certain degree of cutthroat. It's just the way it is. Pride and ego get involved. If you care about what you do, and there are others who do what you do, and you want to be the best at what you do, you pay attention to what they do. And look, I I don't know what kind of stuff goes on behind the scenes. I try to avoid that stuff. I have some theories about some of the things that some of the people in my business will do. I'll give you one example. And I'm not going to name names. There was... Something that I was saying over and over again on either PFT Live or the website or whatever. And a high-level decision maker with one of the teams, with the team that was involved in whatever it was that I kept mentioning. I kept mentioning it, mentioning it, mentioning it. Eventually, the person reaches out to me and says, in order for you to stop saying what you're saying, what can I give you in return? Can I give you a scoop down the road? And I said, no, no, I, no, that's not how it works for me. And what you're telling me is a hell of a lot more than I care to know about how my competitors do business. Because I doubt that was the first time that, that that offer had been made. And I rejected it. But pay close attention. If you care, most people don't care because they just want the information. The people who traffic in the information are very careful about saying anything that would piss anyone off. And that would cut off their flow of information. So they play very straight, down the middle, nothing too far one way or the other. And as a result, not a lot of authenticity in what they say. And that's fine. There's a role for those folks. But let's not assume that there's something they're not. Let's not puff them up into something bigger than they are. They just traffic in information. And they make compromises to be able to traffic in information. That's fine. That's just the way the world works. Now, the more cutthroat profession is law because litigation is premised upon an adversarial process. So you're always fighting. You're fighting by definition. The fighting in this business is more behind your back. Very rarely do people get into it face-to-face. Except when you accidentally text someone that their new glasses are making them look like Morty Seinfeld. Then it gets a little ugly. Somebody ended up guessing what Shefty's response was. Somebody had inside information. All right, a couple more because I got to go. 
at Beef Flow Faux Show. Is the Tommy injury real or is it a Belichick smokescreen? I saw someone suggest that it's a built-in excuse in the event that he sucks against the Jaguars' defense. That's the best explanation I've heard so far. Either way, Malik Jackson didn't buy it, and I asked him about it today on PFT Live. He said, yeah, they said LaShawn McCoy had a high ankle sprain, and he came out, and he was cutting and running like he was perfectly fine. So the Jaguars aren't buying it. But maybe it is a little advanced excuse. Maybe some of that Seth Wickersham story is accurate after all. Maybe Tommy's getting a little sensitive in his old age. Maybe he wants to be able to allow nature to take its course. Well, obviously, Tom's throwing the pick six because his hand's injured. Smacked it against a teammate's helmet or whatever it was. Another question, Paul PJ5, what Super Bowl matchup of the remaining teams do you want to see most? I think I'd like to see. Now, now look, I'm a fan of excellence, and the Patriots have had a run of excellence that we're never going to witness again in the NFL. I'd be shocked if we see it again. And they'd love to get the number six and match the Steelers. But you know what? Sometimes, let's give someone else a turn, please. Hey, Jimmy, can you let your brother play with the toy for a little bit? You've been playing with it for 17 years. So you got three other teams, none of whom have ever won a Super Bowl, one of whom hasn't even been there. How about Jaguars-Vikings? The Vikings are the more tortured fan base because they've had the other side of the Minneapolis miracle far too often over the last 45 years. And it's just a good story. The Vikings in their home stadium taking on the Jaguars. And if that happens, the Vikings better damn well win because, as I've mentioned before, where they've lost other Super Bowls, Rice Stadium, Tulane Stadium, Rose Bowl, you don't have to go back there. They're going to be back in this place. You're going to want to move back to TCF Bank Stadium on the campus of the University of Minnesota if you blow this one. You're never going to want to go back to that locker room if that's the place where you drowned your ultimate sorrow of losing in the Super Bowl. At SARS Monster 15, do you think Toronto will ever get an NFL team? No. They did that split schedule, that experiment for a few years between Buffalo and Toronto. I just don't think it's happening. Now, maybe at some point Toronto becomes the city that gets dangled as the alternative, but I don't think they'd put a team that close to Buffalo. Buffalo's having a hard enough time on a year-in, year-out basis. They want to draw people from Toronto to Buffalo. You want to go to an NFL game, you live in Toronto, drive to Buffalo. We're not putting a team there, so I don't think that's going to happen. At Brian Coons, why doesn't Marcus Mariota get more negative press for a bad year. Look, I think people understand he was injured most of the year. That hamstring did not resolve itself quickly. Hamstrings don't. The only way that you resolve a hamstring injury is to rest. And until he gets that opportunity to rest for a period of five, six weeks, that hamstring's not going to be right. At Zach Brown, 1992, win or lose on Sunday, did the Jaguars add anyone else this offseason who will compete with Blake Bortles at quarterback? If they win on Sunday, it becomes more difficult. If he takes them to the Super Bowl, hard to throw him overboard. If they lose, I think it's easier, especially if he stinks in that game. Now, they're going to have an interesting decision to make. They owe him $19 million guaranteed for injury for now. More on that in a second. It becomes fully guaranteed the first day of the league year in mid-March. They could cut him and then try to re-sign him knowing that there isn't going to be a land rush for Blake Bortles. They could re-sign him for a lot less than the starting point, $19 million. The problem is $19 million becomes a starting point on a long-term deal. You want to sign him to a long-term contract, you cut him from the $19 million and you re-sign him in competition with anyone else who wants him. Who else wants him? If they don't make it to the Super Bowl, I don't think anybody. Now, 
the other wrinkle here. He's got a $19 million insurance policy. And it doesn't require a catastrophic injury. If he suffers any injury on Sunday that keeps him from passing a physical by the middle of March, he gets the full $19 million next year, completely and totally guaranteed. So throw caution to the wind. Do the Elway helicopter. Do whatever you have to do. Run the ball. When in doubt, first read, second read, run the ball. If you get injured, you win $19 million, as long as it's an injury that keeps you from passing a physical in mid-March. That's how it works, too. I used to be confused about this, but a couple of years ago, I finally learned that if you have salary guaranteed for injury, number one, you can't be cut while you're still injured, and number two, it doesn't have to be an injury that keeps you from playing from September to December. It's just an injury that keeps you from passing a physical when the league year begins, especially when you've got a guarantee that converts from injury only to fully guaranteed. One more question, and then I have to go. At Displaced Fans, you get to start a franchise with either Tom Brady or Jerry Rice. Who would you choose? Without question, Tom Brady. Now, I'm assuming they're both the same age. All other things equal, Tom Brady. Because Tom Brady is very close to catching Jerry Rice as the greatest player of all time at any position. Brady's already the best quarterback ever. Rice is regarded as the best player regardless of position. One more Super Bowl win, and I think Brady catches him. And I'd always rather have a quarterback than a receiver. Hey, you give me Jerry Rice. Okay, who the hell is going to throw it to him? You give me Tom Brady. Who's he going to throw it to? Anybody. And we've seen it. Anybody and everybody. He'll make it work. And he brings a leadership dynamic to the team that is critical. So that would be my pick. All right. Thank you for joining us for this unexpected edition of PFTPM. A full conference championship preview coming on Friday, possibly with a guest, possibly without one. We'll see how the day plays out. Thanks for some of your time. Enjoy the day. See you for PFT Live Friday morning and PFT PM Friday afternoon. Thanks again. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.